Let's pray together, please. Amidst the many words that are read and sung and spoken, may your word, your transforming word, have plenty of room in this space and in this time to affect us and cause us to be more open to what we are to be this day and time as your faithful people. So may the work of the sermon be done, both by the preacher, but also by the listeners. May we do the work of thinking together and listening for you. In your holy name we pray. Amen. About a hundred years ago, a scientist by the name of Herman Rorschach created a test to, te- to was I supposed to say kids are dismissed? Okay. Uh, children are dismissed for their time of worship. See, Renee's gone and I just forget everything. About 100 years ago, Herman Rorschach created a test to determine how people see things, how they think, how they how their personalities and experiences have formed them to act and react to certain symbols, certain pictures. Only these pictures weren't really pictures of anything. You've seen them. The Rorschach test is a series of black ink blots on white paper. And the question is asked, what do you see? There's no right answer. You could say it's an angry cat, or you could say it looks like children playing around a tree, or you could say it's a naked woman or a man. In other words, without telling us about yourself, answer these questions and tell us about yourself. Rorschach test. My friend Mac Brown came back from uh, a trip to New York City, and he had taken a picture of... uh, in, in lower Manhattan from the High Line, it's kind of a Rorschach test for me. What do you see? It's, I can see in the foreground uh, a church roof and a concrete cross on top bearing its witness. But I also see in the background, probably a half mile away, uh, the Empire State Building, a very familiar, iconic symbol in New York City. So I see what I see, but what do I notice or what do I draw? Do I see a church faithfully bearing its witness through the centuries? Or do I see the symbol of power and wealth towering over the church as if to say size and recognition matters, Empire State Building wins, church loses? Tell us about yourself. Today's Scripture reading from John is kind of a version of faith's Rorschach test. It's Jesus before Pontius Pilate, who is the Emperor Tiberius's representative in the area, representing the Roman Empire. We usually read this passage during Holy Week, when this event is paired quickly with 
Easter and resurrection so that it comes off more as a temporary setback, sort of a short-term loss for long-term gain. But this morning on the Reign of Christ Sunday, this passage stands alone. It goes solo. No resurrection, no happy ending to rescue it. It's just Jesus before Pontius Pilate. Now, what do you see? Well, to the person whose eyes have not been opened, to the person who is yet to find that transforming moment of awakening to God in Jesus, you might see that on the one hand there's a man who is powerless, bound, humiliated, emasculated, standing before another man with all the power, the one who's in control, who summons Jesus in and out, who has the ability to exert his authority over life and death. That's what the eyes of no faith might see. But the eyes of faith are differently focused. The eyes of faith are transformed. They pay attention to the little things because they know that our initial surface assumptions are just that. They're only skin deep. They might come as a result of our defensiveness or our desire for self-preservation and thus they miss the mark. Do you remember the comedy movie Men in Black that came out some years ago, Will Smith, as one of those, part of that secret group that keeps Earth safe from aliens from other planets. You may remember the opening, one of the opening scenes where Will Smith, a New York uh, police detective, is invited to come and audition, I suppose, for this elite group. He and a handful of other Soldiers have been brought into this testing ground where they're going to try to qualify for this elite group. They're given a simulation test where they're supposed to uh, respond to and react to a threat that will come up. So the doors open. Everyone grabs a gun. The strobe lights begins to flash. The horns begin to blare. And out comes these sort of cardboard monsters. The other soldiers begin to shoot immediately at these different monsters. But the Will Smith character holds back. And finally, he takes but one shot at a little cardboard uh, image of a little girl holding some school books. They turn off the noise. The lights come up. And the, the director asks, what? What happened? Why did you shoot little Tiffany? He explains, well, at first I thought about shooting the monster hanging from the lamppost, but I realized he's just working out. And I wouldn't want someone coming into the gym when I'm working out and shoot me. And then I looked over here and I saw this monster and he's all snarly. But then I realized he's got a Kleenex in his hand. He's not snarling. He's sneezing. Then I looked at little Tiffany here, this little white girl in the hood, and I realized that her book she's holding is quantum physics. That's way too advanced for her. I realized she's up to no good. He's seeing what others overlooked or ignored. It's what the eyes of faith do. To get to the truth, the eyes of faith see Deeply, you realize 
you look at the scene, Jesus standing before Pontius Pilate, and you realize that for all of Pontius Pilate's authority to say who lives and who dies, for all the power that he possesses, really, people of faith aren't all that impressed. We now see it for what it is. It's superficial, it's forced, it's temporary, and it's always unsustainable. It always requires more force. You realize that this is where this religion stuff gets real. Because we're not just talking about Jesus long ago. We're talking about the Pontius Pilots of today. Are Pontius Pilate people, are they the people who have the power in your life? Or are they the posers that we can love but not give our ultimate allegiance to? Do we trust Pilate's way? Or do we trust the way of love in the face of hate, of courage in the face of terrorism? What do you see? Jesus said, my kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom was from this world, my my followers would be fighting to keep me out of harm's way. But my kingdom is not a kingdom of domination and fear. It is a kingdom which is built on love. I've mentioned before a book that I'm reading slowly because I can only take it in small Bits. It's called The Half Has Never Been Told, Slavery and the Making of American Capitalism. It is a story that paints a vastly different picture than the one we got as children from movies like Gone with the Wind. It tells a story about human beings being enslaved, captured and enslaved, uprooted from family and culture for the profit and the pleasure of the people in power in the West. It talks about what the enslavers did to hide and to try to destroy the humanity of those they enslaved, to to hide it even from the enslaved people themselves. They beat them. They berated them. They humiliated them. They divided up their families. And the question comes to me, how did they keep their humanity? How did these enslaved men and women keep their humanity amidst such belittling and downplaying? Well, understandably, some fought. Some fought back. Denmark Vesey and others from Charleston, Mother Emanuel Church that we've heard about recently, fought back. But they were summarily killed or executed. But there were others who claimed their humanity in different ways. People like Joe Kilpatrick. Joe Kilpatrick lived in North Carolina with his wife, and his daughters, Latisse and Nellie. They had a tolerable life. They had made a life amidst slavery until the economics changed and East Coast slaves weren't as valuable as slaves sold to go into the cotton-picking world. And so 
Joe Kilpatrick was sold to a cotton farmer in Tallahassee. And as they put him in chains and walked him over the hill, he looked back and saw his wife and two daughters and would never see them again. How do you live? In Tallahassee, he built a little cabin. And there he took in a little five-year-old orphaned boy. His parents, his own parents, sold off into slavery. His name was George Jones. And he took George in and raised him as his own. And as the years passed and as George grew into a man and, and got married and had daughters of his own that he named Latisse and Nellie. Joe Kilpatrick did the humane thing and provided a space for life to happen. The authors of The Half Has Never Been Told is a Cornell historian named Edward Baptist. Can you imagine carrying that last name around? But because of, perhaps because of his name, he moves from history into commentary when he says Kilpatrick registered a choice in his actions. He sought redemption for his own losses, not in domination, not in revenge, not in accepting despair, but in long-term, patient hope. Hope. Like faith's Rorschach test, those who don't have the eyes to see can look at Joe Kilpatrick and his non-resistance as proof that he's not really a man. We'll belittle him. Minstrel shows will mock this keeper of life. They'll call him Sambo. They'll call him dumb. They'll call him docile. But eyes of faith see it differently. They see that Kilpatrick chooses these ordinary virtues like care and making life possible for others for for making the choice of life over the short-term relief that might come from exacting revenge. And they see, well, they see the truth. You see, in Faith's Rorschach test, what you see depends on what you focus on And whether your eyes have been truly transformed. So what do faith's Rorschach tests see in the tragedies in Paris and Mali? Certainly we see the heinous, unspeakable crimes of terrorists which must be stopped. But the question is, How? How will we stop them? Where did they come from? They didn't wake up one day and say, I think I'll be a terrorist. Where did they come from? What created them? And is there anything we in the West have done, either directly or even indirectly, that helped create them. What do you see? 
And what do we see in our response to terrorism? Individually, as a faith community, as a nation? What do we choose? Fear or courage? Retaliation or compassion? Are we going to focus on national safety? Or will we focus on our national ideals? For the eyes of faith, these questions aren't about bravado. They're not about nationalism. They're not even about a kind of a a happy naivete. It's about living in a radically different way. It's a way that's sometimes inconvenient. Sometimes painful. But the eyes of faith say it's the way. It's the only way. There's no other way. I've been so impressed by the resolve of the people of France where this terrible act of terrorism took place. They are saying we will welcome 30,000 Syrian refugees. You saw the day after the attack, Christians and Muslims hugging each other in the streets, black and white hugging each other in the streets, declaring their oneness. And if you've watched the news at all, you've surely run into this man named Antoine Loris, a French man whose young, beautiful wife was killed by the terrorists, leaving him a widower with a 17-month-old son. He wrote a letter to the terrorists in which he said, I will not grant you the gift of my hatred. Does that sound a little familiar? You want me to be scared, he wrote. You lost. That's not bravado. That's not nationalism. That's not naivete. That is love in the face of hate. That is courage in the face of terrorism. Larisse wrote, we're just two, my son and me, but we are stronger than all the armies in the world. For his whole life, this little boy will threaten you by being happy and free. Do you hear an echo there? Does that ring a bell? I don't know about Antoine Lurie's religious beliefs, but this is the way described and embodied by the one who is called Jesus the Christ. When people like Antoine Lloris resist the temptation to fear and retaliation and trust in sacrificial love and nonviolent courage, they are connecting with the Christ, with the Eternal One. Whether they've gotten that way by way of religious study, whatever gets them there, they are connected with the Christ. This one embodied by the human one, Jesus who stands before Pontius Pilate, answering without words Pilate's profound question, what is truth? Truth is the way of life lived by hard, complicated, messy, inconvenient love. It's what he meant when he said, I am the way the truth, and the life.
Well, sadly, Pilate was blind. Blind to what was right in front of him. He could not see it. He was deaf. He could not hear it. And let us acknowledge that there are a lot of deaf and blind people today. What about you? Do you see it? Can you hear it? Can you see it in Jesus standing before Pilate? But also anywhere where Jesus is before Pilate. In the enslaved man named Joe Kilpatrick, or in Paris, or in Mali, or perhaps in your life. In those places in your life and mine. For you see, Christ only reigns. Christ can only reign. Not when we come in here and sing praises, as wonderful as this is. Not when we admire him for how he walked the way of love. And not when we make heroes out of people like Joe Kilpatrick or Antoine Lloris. But when in our weakest moments, our weakest moments, when we have no power, we still trust and follow this way. Let's pray together. O Christ, you reign in this world as you are embodied in your people. Let us become anew your body. In your holy name we pray. Amen.